Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Hey guys, Anna here. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, If you're new to the show, welcome. It's where I talk to successful people about the role struggle has played in their success. In short, how they have found the light out of the dark. And I'm not just saying this, it's bizarre. I mean, every single person I talk to talks about how this stroke, this cancer diagnosis, this bankruptcy was the best thing that ever happened to me. And it really does give one faith through the dark. This guest today is the single nicest human being in the world. And he talks about how getting the news that he was never going to walk again. He was so cheerful about it that the doctor was worried that he had brain problems, which he actually did have brain problems as a result of this um, accident uh, that actually he died in. He was officially dead. Anyway, he tells the story much better than I do. His name is Hal Elrod, um, and he's the best-selling author of one of the highest-rated books of all time. It's called The Miracle Morning. I worked with him uh, because together we wrote with Joe Polish, The Miracle Morning for Addiction Recovery, which you can go grab. But um, he is such a sweet, inspiring, amazing man. Um, if if anybody else said the th- kinds of things that he says, you'd be like, ah, this is nonsense. I know this guy. None of this is Pollyanna BS. It's real. So thank you. I'm going to let Hal talk, but I am also going to say, if you like this podcast, I would be so grateful if you could just go give it a, a rating or even a review. Oh my God, it makes my day. I smile from head to toe, and I bet you've never even seen someone smile from head to toe. What does a toe look like? smiling. You realize in the time that I've discussed this, you could have rated the review, the podcast. I'm just saying. Um, it would mean everything to me. Thank you. I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to give you Hal Elrod. Hal, we're recording. I'm so psyched. Um, I was thinking before we started, you may be the kindest person I have ever met. Do people tell you that all the time? No, uh, not really. Not in those words. Um, I don't believe you. No, why? Uh, uh, that makes me really feel good and happy, and uh, like you get me. But I'm trying to be the kindest person I can be. No, um, what makes you say that? I guess. Well, okay, I, I told you this once before, but I know when I was trying out for NACA, the college auditions, probably 12 years ago, I was in the elevator in some random town, and a man jaunted into the elevator said hi i'm hal this is my book yo pal hal (laughs) and i was like who is this person he's the nicest person i've ever met i was almost suspect and Uh, then years later we end up working together on the miracle morning and i realized you are the very same individual i think you are someone who just who just does that am i right yeah i honestly no i appreciate that i i don't understand like I don't get, um, and I try to empathize with, you know, people that are 
you know, just normal, like angry with others and have been jaded and hurt. And, um, and I've been jaded and hurt, you know, but for me, it's just this, it's just coming from a place of unconditional love and non-judgment. And I'll share this. Um, I think it's one of the most important philosophies that I've adopted in my life. And I did it at a pretty young age. Um, but in fact, I think it was really when I was 20 years old, I was hit head on by a drunk driver at, you know, 80 miles an hour. I died for six minutes and people were like, oh, that drunk driver guy could kill that guy. I hate that guy. Right. And, um, you know, my friends, my family. And, uh, and I, I just thought, why? Like, why have any negative feelings towards him? I don't think he got in his car and came after me that day. I, you know, I think he made a mistake and he took a few drinks and he drove and, you know, um, let, let, let he who has not cast the first stone. Right. But, but here's the philosophy is the idea that I feel like the the easiest way for me to love all people unconditionally is to realize that had I lived another person's life, there's a very good chance I'd be exactly the same. So those that hurt us, those that wrong us, those that jade us, those that do horrific things, at least horrific in our, in our paradigm are of the world to realize that, well, guess what? If you had grown up like them, if you had the influences they had, if you had maybe been beaten or abused or who knows what, right? Or if you had their, their psychological problems or whatever, you might be exactly the same. And so instead of viewing them with judgment and condemnation and hatred, view them with love and empathy and understanding. And um, I don't know, that, that, that to me is a foundational kind of view of all people that I, allows me to be kind even if you've hurt me or wronged me or, or whatever. Okay, but let me ask you this. Where do you draw the line between people, you know, allowing people to take advantage of your kindness or walk all over you if they're horrible? Yeah. Um, you know, right. I mean, I could, I could quote the biblical, you know, turn the other cheek kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, I don't know that there's a, a black and white answer. I will say this. Um, from my own life experience, I've had very little of that. And my wife's always concerned. She's much more, you know, has an edge to her and it's good because she keeps me, protects me from myself kind of thing. Um, But she's always concerned that I'm going to get taken advantage of because I'm so nice, if you will. Um, And and I just always, I go, well, so far so good. I'm 40. Right. And, and I think that when you when you really treat people with love and respect and kindness, um, for the most part, you're gonna get that back, you know. And and, uh, and granted, you could be taken advantage of. And and you know, I'm trying to think of, I know, I can't think of any major issues where I've been taken advantage of. But um, but uh, but yeah. So I think it's about. So here's the thing is. And actually, we'll probably talk more about this as we talk about the dark and the light and adversity and, and all of these things. But I, it's the idea of being whole, able to hold two opposing ideas simultaneously, right? So meaning you can love people unconditionally. You can see people with empathy instead of judgment. You can, um, you can, uh, you, you can look for the best in others, see the best in others, uh, while simultaneously being smart. And being aware and right. And, you know, and, 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 right. and keeping your antennas up. Right. But not from this place of like, everyone's out to get me and fear, but going, I love all people. But I also realize that, you know, some people, because they've been jaded and they've been hurt and they've, they're, they're kind of messed up, you know, their, their life's been really hard. Um, they are projecting, they're reflecting what life's the, the, the battles that they've endured, what life has dished to them. Uh, and so therefore I need to be aware. I need to be aware of that and I need to be smart 
and I need to pay attention. Um, and, uh, you know, listen to intuition, um, you do your due diligence right. If you're hiring somebody, for example, right, just cause they seem nice and sweet, maybe you call their previous employer, right? So, so the point is you can live with this philosophy of unconditional love and non-judgment and kindness while you simultaneously do your due diligence to protect yourself from being wronged and, you know, know that that's always a possibility. Now, how do you think you didn't end up jaded? I mean, you were in this accident. How do you not come to you and go, why me? Why did this have to happen to me? Yeah, and for those that don't know, I just I was hit head on by a drunk driver when I was 20, 20, yeah, 20 years old, uh, right after my 20th birthday. Um, hit head on by a drunk driver at 80 miles an hour. Uh, I was in a Ford Mustang. He was in a full-size Chevy truck, the drunk driver, so much larger. He you know, annihilated the front of my car. Um, I, I bounced off the drunk driver. My car spun off the drunk driver, uh, kind of did like a, not a 180, like a 90 degree where my driver's side was, was just a, a bullseye for the car that had been following a few car lengths behind me on the freeway. And when I spun sideways, they hit me in my door at 70 miles an hour. And to give people kind of like an understanding, I always say like, put your hands up in front of you right now, like you're holding a steering wheel, look over your left shoulder and imagine that you're just sitting there in a car at 70 miles an hour. Oh my God. Door. And instantaneously I broke 11 bones. Um, I, uh, I, I ruptured my spleen, punctured my lung. Um, and uh, I began to bleed, uh, so, you know, lose a lot of blood. And when they finally, they being the rescue crew, when they finally cut me out of the car, I had bled to death. And I, my heart stopped beating. I was clinically dead, and I was dead for approximately six minutes, uh, while the rescue workers, you know, hooked me up to an IV on a helicopter and and pumped uh, fluid into me and 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 used the defibrillators and oxygen and tried to revive me. And thank God they didn't give up, but they kept working and they brought me back to life. And I was rushed to the hospital in a coma. I was in a coma immediately, and I spent six days in a coma. And I flatlined two more times during those six days. And when I came out of the coma, I was told I would never walk again. And uh, by the way, I'm looking at your cat. So cute. I mean, can uh, you stand it? Yes, yeah, so sweet. But uh, so I came out of the coma and, um, and I was told I would never walk again. And I was told, you know, I, I was told what happened to me. And I had brain damage. So I would literally have to be told this dozens of times a day. Mm. Minutes would go by and I would go, wait, what happened? Why am I here? Uh, because of the head-on collision because of my brain damage. So um, the, uh, how was I not jaded? I'm trying to think. Um, well, a big part of it, and this is really more of a lesson. Well, no, you know what? Yeah, I mean, this is a lesson in how to free yourself from emotional pain, but, but it really does apply in relationships. Like if you think about if you have negative feelings towards another person, that's really self-created emotional pain towards another person. And the problem is we mistakenly think that our emotions are de determined or created by things outside of us. Right. And we and we and we we tend to naturally blame something or someone outside of ourselves for the way we feel. Right. Of right. course, you know, I'm angry, but did, did you hear what she said to me? Of course I'm angry. You'd be angry too, right? Well, no, it has nothing to do with what she said to you. It's your interpretation or your response to what she said to you. It's your resistance to what she said to you. You're wishing she said something different because it didn't meet your expectation. It, this will make this might be confusing at first. It'll make sense here in a few minutes. Let me explain a few other uh perspectives. Um, we think, of course, I'm sad. Look at what I lost. Of course, I'm upset. Look at what happened. Look at what she did. Look at what he did. Look at I lost my job on and on and on, right? Whatever the thing is. And we always think it's the thing. And it's never the thing. Not that the thing doesn't have anything to do with it, but it's not what's causing our emotional pain. Every negative, and I'm, what I'm about to say is very profound. 
might even piss you off. I don't know. Um, but, but I think you're going to see truth in this. Every negative emotion that we have ever, and we being all of us, every human on the planet, every negative emotion that we have ever felt in our lives are feeling now or could ever feel in the future is self-created by us, specifically by our resistance to our reality, wishing and wanting something didn't happen the way it happened, causes our emotional pain. And to the degree that we wish it didn't happen, the degree we wish it were different, determines the degree of pain that we feel. So it's therefore, it's all self-created and it's always optional. And so it's the same in our relationships. If someone does something to us that upsets us, right? Oh, why did she? What are we doing? We're resisting the reality of what was said or what was done. And to the degree that we resist that reality, we wish it didn't happen. We wish she didn't say it. He didn't do that to us. Determines the degree of emotional pain that we feel. The opposite of resistance, which is the key that unlocks the door to emotional freedom, is acceptance. Right. Unconditionally accepting all things as they are. Yeah, and I believe like in the 12 steps, I haven't gone yeah. through that, right? But I believe this is one of the steps or it's, yeah. right? Yeah, or it's you know? the, the, the whole the premise is based on acceptance. Whole premise, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I really, I didn't know that I was doing this in the hospital, but the doctors thought I was in denial. They thought I was delusional because I was so happy. They're like, we're telling, they would, they called my parents in for a conference. They go, we're telling Hal that he's never going to walk again. And he's like, he's just smiling and laughing it off and, or whatever. And, and, and this was my thought is it's, I mentioned the idea of holding two opposing thoughts simultaneously. Um, it's a really a key to a, a good life. Um, and, and here's the two thoughts. I told my dad, I said, dad, if I never walk again and I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life, I completely accept that. It has no effect on my emotions or my emotional well-being or my quality of life. My qual, obviously I can't run. Right. But, I, but I won't be unhappy. I will be the, and I told my dad, I said, I'll be the happiest person you've ever seen in a wheelchair and the most grateful person you've ever seen in a wheelchair because I'm in a wheelchair either way. Why let that ruin my life and be my excuse for unhappiness? And if you're listening to this, what's your wheelchair? Right. What's the circumstance or the event in your life that is occurring now happened when you were a kid that was painful. It was unfair. You didn't deserve it, but you also don't deserve to keep suffering. It's not happening anymore. Accept that it happened and be at peace with it. Go ahead. Well, don't you think too that the universe has a way of teaching us that lesson over and over and over again? It's going to, the more you resist, the more it's going to bring it up another time, give you that test. And once you accept, then it's like, okay, cool. We're on to another lesson for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it, it, for me, I had learned something in my sales training. This is where this came from. It was really kind of this elementary, simple philosophy that I've taught to tens of thousands or hundreds of, I guess, over a million people now. Um, and, uh, and people, like the response is just really profound. When I was 19, I started selling Cutco kitchen cutlery. Uh, I was a DJ on the radio. That was my dream job. My buddy was making a killing with, you know, making great money, putting himself through college. He wasn't going in debt, you know, and I was looking at student loans and, um, and I go, all right, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Like I'm not a salesperson, but I'll, okay, I'll try. And, um, I ended up doing really well with it. And, and we learned on my second day of a three day training, which everybody goes through, my manager taught us something called the five minute rule. And it's really simple. He says that whenever something goes wrong, wrong being a relative term, right? Whenever something doesn't meet an expectation, when you're disappointed, you're upset. And he was teaching this in the context of like, sales, you know, work sales. He said, look, you're going to have customers that cancel their order. It's going to be devastating. Your biggest order of the week, you know, you're going to be working towards a goal and you're going to your last day of appointments. They're all going to cancel. Like just stuff's going to go wrong. And he said, when, whenever something goes wrong, 
set your time. And he literally taught us, set your timer on your phone for five minutes and you get five minutes to bitch, moan, complain, cry, vent, punch a wall, whatever you got to do, feel it to the umpteenth degree. But after five minutes, when the timer goes off, you take a deep breath and you say three very magical words. Can't change it. He said, you acknowledge that you cannot go back five minutes. You can't go back in time, whether it's five minutes or five decades. You can't go back in time and change it. So the only intelligent choice you have, if you want to be at peace, you want to be happy, you want to move forward, is you have to accept it fully, be at peace with it, and then get on the phone, get more appointment, you know, do whatever, you, do what, what you can do within your control, but accept everything out of your control. Because you can't change the past, you can change everything else. Right. And so I had practiced that for a year and a half under much easier things than a car accident, right? But I was conditioned. So, I mean, it was literally the first day that I had the car accident. I'm like, well, I can't change it. So I'm not, what's the point in being upset about it? Like, right. right? And this applies to everything from being told you're never going to walk again to two years ago. I was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer. I was nearly dead and uh, I was given a 30% chance of surviving. And you have two small children, worst news of my life. Um, but I, the day I was diagnosed, I said, this will be the best thing that ever happened to me. The day I was told that I had a 30, 20 to 30% chance of living, I told my wife, and she got angry when I said this. <laughs> I said, sweetheart, I said, I know this is probably hard to see because, yes, I bet this will be the most difficult thing that we've ever endured, both me individually and as a family. But I believe this is the best thing that's ever happened to me, and, uh, or it will be. And, uh, and it was. You wow. Know? Because uh, every adversity uh, within it, there are infinite seeds, you know, advantages, uh, seeds to, to grow, to learn. And, and that's it to me, if I'm putting it in just simple terms and I can get into specifics, but, um, every adversity is an opportunity to learn, learn about ourselves, learn about life, learn about adversity, how to overcome it. It's an opportunity to grow, to learn, to grow and to become better than we've ever been before. And I know that I, I know that for that on the other side of our adversity, there's a better version of us. And in fact, it's typically only in the midst of adversity that you can actually become the best version of yourself. If you were handed everything, right? And you just right. wake every day and like, well, I got all the, I was, I was born into money and I got it. Like everything is just fine. Okay. I just watch TV all day and then go shopping. Okay. Right. Like, yeah, right. everybody thinks that's what they want, you know, but, and I will tell you because I had my car accident and you could imagine this, right? Everyone, myself included, but especially my parents and my family, they're like, God, why? Like, Hal already went through a life and death situation. And I did have, you know, I did look and kind of, but you know, it was with a smile. It wasn't with like disdain, like, God, how could you do this to me? It was like, I literally smiled and looked up to the, the heavens, if you will. And I'm like, God, what am I, what else am I supposed to learn? Right. Like, what else am I supposed to, like, I feel like I've learned pretty much, you know, most of it. And, uh, and, and, and you know, the, the answer though, Anna, is a lot. Like I am the best husband I've ever been because of the cancer journey that I went through. I am the best father I've ever been because of the cancer, best leader. I'm the best version of myself, like leaps and bounds. I've learned more about myself, life, what matters, you name it, um, uh, because of that journey. And I'm so grateful that I had cancer. And by the way, I want to say this too. And I don't want, I would, I don't want this to go unsaid for anybody watching, listening. Um, I, every day I prayed, right? And, and just so you're clear, like in case you're like, I'm not a very, I wouldn't call myself a religious person. I'm a very spiritual person from all religions trying to learn, you know, the best of it all. But, but, but I prayed every day and I thanked God every day for my cancer. I thanked God for the cancer 
for the lessons that were that I was going to learn that I didn't even know yet, you know, the growth I was like, I was grateful for every moment. And that's to me that that's an underlying philosophy as well as being grateful for everything, every moment, every challenge, all the pain, all every adversity, every, everything, every moment, every of life. Like to me, it's through a lens of gratitude. And how specifically did that make you a better husband and father and leader? So, I, if you would have asked me before, I'm glad you asked that. If you would ask me before I had cancer, how, what's the most important thing to you? What is your number one priority? I like, I think most entrepreneurs, especially if, I mean, if, you, have a, if you have a family, um, would have said my family, of course, like hands down, no questions asked, my family. And I believed I would have been, I would have believed that to my depths of my soul. However, if you looked at my schedule, it was not reflective of that. And I find this is, I've been speaking on this a lot. I just spoke uh, at a business event the other day and I got, it was cool. It was a Keller Williams event and, and they mailed me like 250 note cards uh, of people. They had everybody in the audience after I was done, write a note to me, um, you know, thanking me, acknowledging the message or whatever. And there was probably five minutes during a, you know, hour long keynote where I talked about being a parent. And, and I know I'm not, I'm, I'll answer your question here, but I thought being a parent and, uh, and the lessons that I had learned about being a parent and most of the note cards were about that, right? Like that's not what my message was about at all. But that, so, so I'm realizing like I'm able to now empower and share the lesson I'm about to share here. I'm not trying to hold you guys up, but, um, but with, I mean, how many, how many, I don't even know, millions of entrepreneurs are there that think family's number one or, you know, right. But like, but they're, they're living a lie because they're working their ass off. They're just working all the time. They're workaholics. We're workaholics. And that's the biggest lesson that I got was I'm a workaholic. And I, and, and we lie to ourselves and say, and again, we don't do it on purpose. We're not, it, it's with the best intentions, I believe, but we're lying to ourselves saying we're doing it for our family. And, and what I realized, and actually it was a good friend, John Broman. I got this hat. If you're watching the video front, uh, he's the founder of the front row dads mastermind. And uh, it's a mastermind where it's family men with businesses, not businessmen with families. Wow. And he was a, he's one of my best, best friends. During the cancer journey, we talked a lot. And he said something to me that really stuck. He said, Hal, you know, I've realized that if people ask what I did, I used to tell them, uh, you know, I'm an author, I'm a speaker, I'm a host of podcasts, I run a charity, blah, blah, blah. And he said, and one day I realized I'm a dad and I'm a husband and that other stuff is just stuff I do when I'm not being a dad or a husband, right? And it ended up, you know, for me, I realized that I, my schedule did not reflect what my supposed number one priority, because I was always putting, I was working most of the time. I would give up another Saturday because I had another book coming out. I had another this, I had another that. And so the biggest lesson, the biggest takeaway, um, and I think it's the most important because if you have kids, you only get one shot at that and they only get one shot at having a good parent, right? Like right. you don't get, I actually heard Joe Rogan on this podcast say it today. Like you don't get a redo, right? It's not something where you can like redo it. And so um, for me, I realized that uh, my family, I said they were number one, but they weren't in terms of time, you right. know, in terms of, right. And so my schedule now reflects that. I now, I wake my kids up every morning. I put them to bed every night. Like I, I book in my day with family time. I'm taking way more vacations, way more time off. Um, the other day, uh, it was Monday, uh, two days ago, my son comes in, it was five minutes to seven or five minutes to eight. And I was getting ready to be in my office at eight. I had a whole day of important, I'm like stacked. I'm overwhelmed. I got so much going on. And my son is, he's six and he comes in, his name's Halston. And he goes, 
he goes, oh, dad, I'm glad I caught you. Hey, let's, let's, uh, let's hook up the Wii and play Wii. <laughs> and uh, in my head, right, we usually say what we're going to say before we say it sometimes. And I go, in my head, I'm like, oh, buddy, I can't. I, it, I, got, I got it working five minutes. And immediately that voice was replaced with life is for, you know, Jason Mraz says life is for living, mm-hmm. not for working. It's not for doing, it's not for having, it's not right. And, uh, and so I didn't even mention the work thing. I said, yeah, buddy, let's hook up the Wii, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the difference is uh, before work was priority. And now I've really realized it is simply a means to the end of, of being with the family, justifying the family, you know, and I think you know, on the deathbed, right? They always, when they interview people, they're like, I, I, I wish I would have spent more time with the family. And the last right. thing I'll say on that is my buddy, John Vroman, he said, you know, I realized that my kids aren't going to remember how many mortgage payments I made, how many email subscribers I got, how many reviews or book sales I made, right? Right. What the hell are we doing? You know, and, um, and, and again, if you don't have kids, you can apply that to I if you're a parent. Like yeah. that's one thing I realized that was a big thing with the cancer journeys. I realized, my parent, I have limited time with my parents, less time with my parents than my kids. Right. Right. So now I'm spending more time with my parents. I'm calling them more often. I'm making it a priority to go see, go out and stay with them. And, you know, and so that's really it. It's really getting clear on what matters. And I think it's health and, and family. And when I say family, uh, friends to me, fam- family is yeah. a big word for other human beings on the planet Earth, you know, different levels of family. Well, and, and so to get into um, the struggle, I, not to totally refute everything you said, let's talk <laughs> about the success. Um, because part of what I want to do here is show people the sort of success stories you can have. And like, you know, we've talked about the successful family, but what about in work? Um, you know, uh, The Miracle Morning is, you know, one of the most successful books of all time, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy to hear you say that, but you think it's it's pretty true. And and so, what are, what are the stats? You know, it's like I know for keynotes, I think you make six figures. Twenty five thousand dollars per. Okay, keynote. well, right. hey, you deserve six figures. I will not. And my dream. What's cool about that is my dream. When I was twenty, I went and sat with a keynote speaker who was earning ten thousand dollars per speech, and he was giving like you know seventy five keynotes a year or whatever. And I'm like, I, I sat down, I'm like, what do I, how, how could I be a $10,000 keynote speaker? Like that was my 25,000. My dream was 10. That was, yeah. I never saw bigger than that. And so for yeah. it's has been crazy. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I keep going. And so, and, and the bulk of your business is built around the miracle morning. Like what is the core business? Yeah. So the miracle morning uh, is a book I published on 12, 12, 12, uh, December 12, 2012. Um, and, uh, and that I, you know, I, I, I published it because it changed my life. It wasn't, you know, I didn't have a platform. I didn't think I would sell a lot of copies. Um, and it, it took a long time. I, after I started getting feedback emails from people saying it was changing their life, I did set a goal. I'm like, okay, I have a responsibility to reach a million people with this book. So my goal was to sell a million copies in the, in, in the next year. And I sold 12,000 copies. If you're doing the math, that's 99.9% short of the goal. Um, and I'm like, all right, maybe I can do it in year two. And I sold 23,000 copies year two. So I was 99.7% short of the goal. And I ended up in, in, in six years, it sold a million copies. And so wow. um, from that, we launched a, 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 an event called Best Year Ever Blueprint, uh, a mastermind at that event called Quantum Leap Mastermind. We're changing all the names so they're all kind of better cohesively branded. But, um, but uh, yeah, so I speak on the Miracle Morning. Um, I do interviews on the Miracle Morning, obviously. Um, and, then, uh, and then we've got over a dozen books in the series, Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs. For, you know, we did Miracle Morning for Addiction Recovery. Right? Yeah. So we authored a book in the Miracle Morning series. Miracle Morning for uh, parents and families, for college students, for salespeople. So there's there's a whole variety of uh, of books in, for different niches that are very targeted toward that niche and definitely not 
not repeats of the original, just including about 30% of the original. Yeah. You know, and then mostly just new content. As I know from writing. Yeah, you know, you wrote it. Yeah. Uh, firsthand. It's true what he's saying. And how did you go from sell, selling 12,000 books to selling a million books? What were the actual steps you took? Yeah, so the, uh, so the first and foremost, it's the book itself, right? Um, and I've, I've done a lot of reverse analyzing of like, why is it? Because the Miracle Morning became a word of mouth phenomenon. You know, it, 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 I marketed the heck out of it but only to a point. And then it took off a lot. It took a life of its own. And the best example of that is the year before I had cancer, I did like 150 something podcast interviews and we sold 130,000 copies of the miracle morning. And that was like, you know, this, I don't even know, fifth year it was out or whatever. So it already built this word of mouth kind of momentum. But what really proved the word of mouth momentum is we sold 130,000 copies that year, the next year or that fall, I got diagnosed with cancer. I spent the next year in the hospital. I didn't do a single podcast interview. I didn't do, I didn't know, there were no Facebook ads. I had zero, literally zero marketing. I mean, I can't think of anything. I didn't do any marketing. And we sold 130,000. We sold the exact same amount that year. So it's word of mouth. And here's the, here's what, so you have to understand, okay, well, what makes a book word of mouth? And so I've kind of, again, reverse engineered and analyzed that. And if I had to sum it up into one single thing, it's that it changes behavior it be, be consistent behavior. So daily behavior is, is what it changes, right? If, if you don't know, the Miracle Morning is a daily personal development ritual that you do first thing in the morning and it gets you off to an amazing start to your day, right? It's a simple way to put it. So most books don't change behavior. All they do is give you a bunch of co high level concepts and ideas and they might change your thinking, but, but our memories are pretty short, especially in today's fast paced, you know, digital, I mean, so much stimuli, stimuli, right? So it's like most of us, when we finish reading a, a book, all we do is start another book. Right. And as we get into that next book, the last book we read that while we were reading it, it was amazing, epiphany after epiphany after epiphany, right? But now you're into a new book and your right. brain has only so much space. You can't remember the old book, right? So you don't talk about it. However, if a book changes your behavior in a meaningful way that adds value to your life, especially on a daily basis, right? Now you're going to talk about it. So now when, like I, people tell me all the time, they go, yeah, when I leave the dinner party at 8 PM and people go, why the hell are you leaving so early? And this is like, I mean, there's a million people around the world that are leaving the dinner party earlier, like, you know, or going to bed early and their friends. Cause I'm one of those people are like, why won't you stay up late? Well, like what, you know, they're like, I got to go to bed for my miracle morning. Right. You're what? So, so even though they read the book four years ago, they're practicing it, living it every day. And now they're still talking about it. So you need to embed behavior change into your book. So that's the, that's the, that's the foundational piece, the content. And I want to give an example. So if somebody's like, well, give me an example of like what that would look like if your book wasn't about a morning routine, which is in itself behavior, like by default, let's say you wrote a book for couples, right? For, you know, married couples, and you were talking about enhancing their relationship, give them a daily set of three questions that they answer or a daily journaling practice, have a companion journal that you sell that they fill out 365 days, right? Or if you, you know, even maybe even just a date night, but it's a really special date night where they're, it's, it's enhancing their life and their marriage. And they're going to tell all their friends about this date night that you, they do that's so simple, but so radical and different in, you know, in how, right? So those are examples. So whatever your book topic is, think about what, ask yourself, what are daily rituals and routines or weekly, but daily is better, right? More chances to talk about it that people can do. And I always say, by the way, if you read the Miracle Morning, you can literally just take the six practices of the Miracle Morning 
and then just customize them for your thing. Right. So if you have dating, do a meditation for your for, as a couple, do a do affirmations as a couple, do a journaling practice as a couple, do an exercise routine as a couple. Right. Like you literally can just take one anywhere from one of or all six of the savers. Right. And then just customize those for your niche, your your topic. It's so interesting. You gave a talk at the Genius Network Annual last year that talk, talked about this. Yes. Right. And I remember it's so good. It's like you think about that Charles Duhigg book, The Power of Habit. Everybody talks about that book yeah. because the power of habit, you have to implement it. Um, so good. Um, okay. We have to move into the lightning round, which is just yeah. quickly say the first thing uh, that comes to mind. The first question is pretty hilarious because it is morning routine. <laughs> We know it, the savers. And just say what those are quickly for people who don't know. Silence, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and scribing, which as my, our friend JP Sears says is a pretentious word for writing. <laughs> <laughs> I know that, that saver does not sound as yeah. good yeah, as yeah. savers. Yeah, um, what, what is a book that you did not write that changed your life? Um, Conversations with God. What is one of your favorite quotes? Uh, oh, gosh. Drawing a blank. Uh, well, I'm just going to take one of my own because I can't think of another one, right? Um, yeah. Uh, love the life you have while you create the life of your dreams. I love it. Lots of people quote themselves in this one, by the way. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> just, you know. Um, right. Have you had a mentor? Uh, yeah. Uh, my, one of my, the, the earliest mentor that I had other than my parents, of course, um, was uh, Jesse Levine and he was my manager at Cutco. He taught me the five minute rule, which it's amazing. He was, he was visiting me recently and, uh, we haven't seen each other in a few years. And I go, do you realize that the five minute rule that you taught me in Cutco training, I, it's a chapter in my new book, the miracle equation. <laughs> like I'm buddy, you impacted me and I'm teaching this to like millions of people. And it was a pretty cool moment to be able to tell him that. I love it. Um, what is your spiritual practice? Mm, talking to God all the time. Just an open dialogue with God all the time. And I feel, I, actually, that's where conversation with God, you know, you read that and, and he's supposedly talking to God and most people are skeptical, like, yeah, right. But, you know, I love where he's like, God, he's like, well, you know, I thought you stopped talking to people 2,000 years ago and God's like, yeah, I, what, a, what, a weird, what, what a weird thing to think. Why do you guys think that? Like, and it does make sense. Like, oh yeah, only people 2,000 years ago we're allowed to talk to their creator or whatever, right? But like, you know, so for me, it's this just open, and you know, and, and for me, it's, you know, God's a heavy word, like collective consciousness, higher intelligence. Like to me, I, 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 it's all one and the same. You know, I don't, I don't know what's what. Like I just, it's me just being completely open to source, to spirit, to, to that collective consciousness and, and having, being open to that, that little inner voice that I think we normally like, eh, I don't know what, who that is or if that's just my, right? Like we don't trust it. And I've learned like through meditation, like deep, long meditation um, to just shut my brain down and just ha listen. And, and like now I just have these internal dialogues and, you know, you might think it's your crazy self, but um, there's a lot of wisdom in there. So <laughs> are you talking out loud? Sometimes. Mm -hmm. yeah. What is your best quality? Mm, unconditional love. What we talked about kind of in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, how do you define light? Ooh, how do I find light? Um, I don't. <laughs> if I had to, uh, I would say like love is the first thing I think of, right? Like light, love, energy, God, like all those kind of words to me kind of intertwine and, and, uh, and commingle. And how do you define dark? 
Mm, separation from light. You pass. You pass <laughs> with flying colors. Hal, this has been such a pleasure. Um, thank you so much. If people, where's the best place people can go to find out more about you? Miracle Morning's the easiest spot. There's any anything and everything is is pretty much on there. And if not, it will. There's something on there that would redirect elsewhere if you need to go there. Um, okay, you guys, thank you so much for listening. And Hal, thank you so much for doing this. Appreciate you and love you, Anna. Thank you. Love you. Too.